to A Legacy of Generosity, a podcast produced by the Leave a Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. You'll hear lessons learned, trends, and best practices from experienced gift planning professionals to help you succeed in increasing legacy gifts for your organization. We are grateful to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations. To learn more about the work they do, visit greaterminnesota.net. Now, here are your hosts. Hello, this is Marie Ruzek, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Binken, and our guest, Sherry Beal from The Nature Conservancy. Sherry is a gift planning officer with the Nature Conservancy Worldwide Organization, as well as a regional strategist for Minnesota, the Dakotas, and Wisconsin. Before we get into today's topic, we'd like, we always like to take a few minutes uh, for our guests to tell our listeners just a little bit about themselves, uh, you know, a little bit about your work and perhaps your journey into, uh, into fundraising. So would you be able to, uh, to take a moment here and, uh, and tell our uh, listeners where, where, where you're coming from? So my journey, I guess, well, in life started in uh, north central Minnesota. I grew up on a farm. And I went to college at Concordia College in Moorhead. I studied English there. And then I have an MBA from the University of St. Thomas in nonprofit management. My husband and I have resided in Minneapolis since um, the mid-80s. And so, and my career in, in fundraising has been a long one. But I think like a lot of people, I fell into it accidentally, as, as we all do but just have really enjoyed and loved raising money for the nonprofits I care about, which has included uh, geriatric issues, uh, AIDS uh, fundraising, but for a long time now, conservation, which is, which is one of my top loves. So speaking of loves, Sherry, what's the, what's the favorite part of your job? I think be, I, I think I'm sort of a natural social worker. <laughs> I started off um, as a nurse's assistant when I was young. I think that really helped me learn how to value people who are uh, older and had a lot more experience than me and to listen. And uh, the relationships I have with donors and, and my colleagues is, is the best part of, of what I do. Uh, I also think just you know, bringing in the resources that's going to, that it will assure our permanent mission, which the Nature Conservancy has a permanent mission. And feeling that, you know, I've combined what's in the best interests of our donors, helping them with their plans and the charities I care about. So, Sherry, I'm wondering, uh, you know, when in, in working with, with your donors, um, and uh, and having a lot of uh, experience uh, in the in the field of estate planning, you know, one of the things that that occasionally we learn of are um, you know charities that that end up that are working with donors where the estate uh, gift that was that was bequeathed to them was, for lack of a better word, kind of a mess. Um, do you have uh, you know some thoughts on? on uh, just from your experience, some of those, what some of those experiences are and, and how they can be avoided. So the Nature Conservancy does have a, have, has an excellent estate administration department. Um, and when our donors pass away, that really, everything goes to them. And so I'm, I and my colleagues, of course, are working on the front end 
of um, gifts with donors and oftentimes have very long relationships with them. Uh, the organization, for one thing, has been marketing planned gifts for a long time. We we uh, talk about planned gifts and, and, and encourage our donors to share with us that the Nature Conservancy is in their plans. So that's kind of an ongoing messaging to our donors. What we found is that the donors who tell us the Nature Conservancy is in their estate plans, have, generally those estate gifts are much higher, much more significant in terms of the amount than donors who did not inform us. But we still get a lot of gifts and, and tremendous gifts from donors who just didn't choose to, to let the charity know. When we do have a conversation with a donor about uh, including the Nature Conservancy in their plans, we have a form called a bequest information form that we encourage them to fill out, including talking to us about how they want their gift used, what might be a part of their estate coming to the Nature Conservancy. If we can have those conversations, that can avoid um, some of those issues that might come along that, that are going to kind of create a mess. And it also might include having a conversation about, you know, what do you want this gift used for? This is how we use undesignated gifts. And if that donor tells us, you know, I want it used in a very specific way that we're concerned about, we can have an influence and, and talk to them about how they might want to tweak language. Um, if they talk to us about I, this frequently happens. I want to leave you this property. I'd like it to become a nature center or something like that. We have to, we have a conversation about what we can and cannot do. Maybe it means there's another charity that's more suitable for them. But the key thing is communication and encouraging that in, that communication whenever we can. Sherry, I'm curious. How, do you have good? percentage of donors that return the information form filled out? I know that's been a challenge of mine in past jobs and just was curious if you have, you know, great respondence rate or it, it can be challenging sometimes. You know, I, I wish I could tell you like what the, the, the return rate is. I think that um, we are my experience is there are donors who are high revealers and low revealers. Sure. Um, and some donors, uh, we are um, in campaigns on and off, of course, throughout the years. Some donors like to fill out that form to participate in the campaign. There might be a variety of reasons. We talk to them about, you know, there's great, it's helpful if you fill out this form so that we know um, what might be coming to us. We know it's not a pledge. It's a future gift. It's good to know if you have preferences on how we get that, how we use that. If uh, you have preferences for how you like to communicate with us, we, um, we do try to follow up on that form and encourage people to, to return it to us. And it's just, you know, I've found in the last year, I, I think people have been a little bit more reluctant to be sending those back for some reason. I don't know if it's it's related to the pandemic and exhaustion from that. Um, I think we all started off being enthusiastic about what we were going to be trying to accomplish when we were at home. Um, I think there's just, I think 
it boils down to the individual and whether they want to reveal reveal that information and share it with us. That makes sense. And at least from the charity standpoint, that having a form like that would be considered a best practice. So yes. that'd be something to keep in mind. So we talked a little bit about the your favorite part of your job, but what what about a least favorite part of your job? Do you have one of those? Um, I think certainly losing donors, um, hearing about mm. the pat the passing of our supporters, because we do, you know, I've had the the joy and luxury of of working for an organization in this same field and department for over 12 years. And that means a lot of relationships with, with people. And, and I'm always sad when I hear that, that someone has passed away that, that I've worked with um, and surprised oftentimes. Um, and, but then on the flip side, uh, seeing the wonderful gifts that, that um, come to us and can make such a tremendous difference. Mm-hmm. I think another um, challenge is having to say no and also um, really being, and I think it's, again, it's something that's, uh, that has developed over time. I'm getting better at being really honest and clear with donors about what we can and cannot do. Um, And sometimes it's telling them that their beloved piece of property is just not suitable for conservation. And it's not something that we are going to be able to protect, um, but it also means having a conversation about what they could accomplish if they left that property or that asset to us. Sure, that makes sense. And you probably have to say no a lot more often than most of our audience who are probably more used to receiving gifts of cash or appreciated stock, maybe, you know beneficiary designations from insurance or IRAs, but um, you at the Nature Conservancy get offered gifts of real estate, I would imagine, much more frequently than most nonprofit organizations. So that brings us to today's topic is how do we as fundraising professionals work with donors who may want to make a gift of real estate? That's right, Marie. Um, Sherry, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about a little bit more about the Nature Conservancy, um, the role that legacy gifts such as real estate play uh, in your organization's mission. Well, the Nature Conservancy is um, celebrating a 70th birthday, and we have been, I think we are seen as as a bit of a real estate organization because we've been, we we conserve a great deal of our mission is conserving land and also water resources. So it, we started in 1951. We rallied our volunteer leadership at that time around protecting a specific place. And we've grown to operate in 72 countries and protected 125 million acres of land. And we also manage 100 marine uh, projects. So our donors are used to seeing us and visualizing us as an organization um, that deals in real estate. Um, But increasingly, donors are realizing, and and our marketing has a lot to do with that, that we also accept gifts of real estate that aren't conservation lands, but property, including homes, cabins, second homes, 
that um, can be that we can receive, and sometimes those are very um, those have accumulated in value over the years and have a lot of capital gains. And there's some real advantages for donors giving the, us those gifts. So um, it's it's a job of continuing to communicate and let people know that that those are our gifts that we can accept and that can really benefit our work. Well, congratulations on 70 years. That's amazing. What a milestone. And it's really fun. At least I think it is when you're working at a nonprofit organization to be in one of those anniversary years because there's some usually some additional celebratory things that you can bring to the donors and it makes it, um, you know, a real milestone. So I hope that you have a lot of fun this year with that. Yes, thank you. Uh, one thing that, a statistic that just surprises me over and over, and if our audience isn't aware of it, just how little of their overall assets that our donors hold in cash or stocks. So. I'm looking at the most recent 10-year census data, which was back in 2011, because as we know, we just went through a census. Um, but home equity is was just 25% of overall asset base, um, which, as you just stated, Sherry, could be a good gift to give with the other kind of interest-bearing accounts and retirement accounts accounting for 35% of asset base. And then all other assets, 40%, of which um, some real estate could be in there. So you've got 25% and 40% that might be gifts of real estate that if you're not asking or informing donors about, could be a missed opportunity. But why else is it important to talk to donors about gifts of real estate? Well, I think you, um, you're certainly pointing it out that um, you know most donors own um, most of their assets in non-cash and and sometimes really highly taxed in um, assets such as as properties um, or or um, you know their retirement assets. I think it's partly just letting donors know and they're not always aware that charities can accept other types of gifts and and how that can be a benefit to them to give those gifts um, to charity. And oftentimes, some there are certainly some advisors who are not aware as well and might not be informing uh, their clients that, that that's a great option. And, um, you know, even if you're, I think if your organization is not particularly wired to accept certain gifts, you can you can really be a resource to donors, um, be that that social worker who lets donors know that um, these are gifts uh, that can benefit charity. I, I think that's, I always view that as, as part of my job too, just to be helpful and, and communicating with donors about what they, they can and cannot do. Sherry, you told us earlier that you've worked on some exciting gifts of real estate in the past year. Wondering if you would just be willing to expound on that a little bit more for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, you know, I've been doing this for a dozen years, but it's actually just in the in recent years that I'm starting to see some gifts come in with donors that I've been working on, working with. Um, and of course, the vast majority of donors that I've been working with over the years. Um, are it's going to be it's being around their estate planning and including various assets um, to our organization. 
the last two years. And just to give you a little bit of context, you know, the Nature Conservancy does have a, a, a real estate manager in our gift planning department. In the last two and a half years, we've received uh, about 38 gifts, um, which include outright gifts of real estate um, or, or real estate gifts that have come through to us um, from a donor's estate. These have ranged from $100,000 value, which is our minimum, to close to $3 million. In my own case, I've been seeing just in the last few years, donors that I've been working with who may have in the past put the Nature Conservancy in their estate plan. And one donor in particular, um, a professor here in Minnesota approached us and said, you know, I've moved out of um, our home. Her husband had passed away and she had moved into a condominium. And she said, I'd, I'd like to accelerate my gift to the Nature Conservancy. So we um, did our, our due diligence, visited the property, determined that it was something that we were going to be able to accept. And ultimately, that property sold for over $400,000. Uh, it will benefit um, actually two programs of the Nature Conservancy in Oregon and in California, which is really what was um, places that really spoke to that donor and her husband and that were meaningful to them. The donor was very secretive and very uh, private and didn't want anybody to really know a lot about her gift, but she was so happy with the process that in talking to a friend of hers, another retired professor, uh, that the, the friend had inherited um, some real estate that was going to be cumbersome for her and her husband in their, in their retirement to own. The, the other donor said, you know, I had a great experience working with the Nature Conservancy, and her friend and her husband uh, approached me, and um, they ended up donating two beautiful lots on a lake that ended up um, just recently selling. That's going to probably be also close to $400,000, will benefit our work here in Minnesota. So those were those were cases of guess where you know the asset had sort of um, exhausted its usefulness for the donors, and there was an opportunity, and our reputation um, spoke to them as well. I think one of my favorite gifts that I've I've worked with that I was a part of a much uh, bigger process and other people working on this was a gentleman who put the Nature Conservancy in his estate plans. Over the years, he had accumulated over 2,200 acres of land in northeastern Minnesota, um, and he was very concerned about the future of those properties. He didn't want them to be chopped up and developed, but he wanted to see something happen in his lifetime. He also needed some resources for his retirement, so we worked out a bargain sale with him. He donated a chunk of the property's values, uh, and he received um, money from the Nature Conservancy that will help him in retirement. And it's just going to be a spectacular um, places that we're going to be able to conserve. That will include six lakes, over a thousand acres of wetlands, frontage on trout streams, habitat for wolves, lynx, moose, bear, and songbirds. And it's also going to benefit people as there will be some access to fishing, hiking, and paddling. So those are just a few examples of some work 
some gifts that I've worked on that I'm, I'm really pleased to see the results. Sherry, that 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 last gift just sounds fascinating. Um, it it almost sounds sort of akin to uh, like a charitable gift annuity, where you know a donor makes that gift to the uh, you know to the organization, uh, who then in turn you know is providing income back to the uh, you know to the donor. Is that is that an accurate uh, metaphor or assessment? Um, in fact. That's a great one because as a part of our conversation and it was, it's really helpful to try to get at what the donor really needs. Um, we did have a conversation with him about um, perhaps um, a, a life income gift, if that would benefit him. He ultimately didn't need um, that big of a stream of income and he actually didn't even want to, to do that. He, he really needed just some cash set aside um, in case he needed that. Um, and so that was a part of our conversation. So, so the, the bargain sale, which also gave him um, a significant um, conservation, um, a charitable deduction, excuse me, was, was really benefit, beneficial to him. But we did get to what he really needed. And because this took a while as well, um, we also talked more about his estate planning. Um, and had a conversation with him about his family, making sure everybody else was on board. Um, and this ultimately was was the best solution for him. And he's really, he's thrilled because he's, he's gonna see the properties conserved during his lifetime. Sherry, I'm picking up a number of things from your comments and congratulations on those wonderful success stories that are gonna benefit the environment, including people and animals. Um, and land, it, it seems like with these types of gifts, you are doing a lot of communicating back and forth with the donors. And that seems like that would be something that would be key to be, you know, getting out all of the information out on the table. You talked about due diligence that the Nature Conservancy performed, which would be a best practice. And then also having a minimum dollar amount for gifts that you would consider, you said yours was 100000 So those are things that I picked up on with regard to maybe smaller or less experienced nonprofit organizations that might want to consider receiving gifts of real estate. I know um, through the Minnesota um, Gift Planning Association, we do cover gifts of real estate in our brisk walk through the basics of planned giving course and um, touch on a, a resource, which is a real estate gift acceptance checklist. But what, what should charities or what advice would you have to charities if they want to, you know, go down this path of being able to receive these types of gifts? Sure. Well, I think definitely um, recognizing that real estate gifts can be um, probably some of the most time-consuming gifts that an, that an organization can receive if you especially you know it's a it's a there's a lot of um, steps and processes to it um, I think that um, it's going to be critical to have some questions that you ask on the front end that can oftentimes screen out gifts and that's something that I am doing a lot when I'm talking with donors um, one would be to, to get at 
uh, if someone's interested in, in donating a property to you to be clear on you know what they're trying to accomplish and, and whether or not you're going to be able to do that um, uh, with that gift. But also, um, I make sure that I'm having a conversation about you know uh, what the ownership of the property is. Um, the and and through having that question, I've sometimes um, screened out gifts where it might be owned by multiple people. Um, or if it's mortgaged, which is not something we generally like to tackle. Um, but I think having those questions at the front end, um, sometimes too, it's, it's talking to donors. And this is where I think I can be particularly helpful to donors as a bit of a social worker, is talking to them about what assets they hold and what they want to accomplish with those assets. And I think this particularly gets at something like um, a property that they might have. Let's talk about a family cabin. If we can encourage donors to really think about um, how they want to pass that on. And um, earlier I said, um, you know, difficult gifts. I think it's very difficult when donors leave an asset to multiple people that have to share it. And I think if we can encourage um, our supporters to have conversations with their families and loved ones and their advisors and look at what's what's the best use of, of that asset. And in some cases, it might be better for that to be that asset to come to charity uh, and leave other things that don't have to be shared per se to the people in your life. So my job is just to get donors sometimes thinking and talking about um, what their options are, giving them lots of time, encouraging them to take time and get good advice uh, before making some of these decisions. I love that approach with starting with the assets and kind of being a problem solver for them on, you know, is this going to be something that you can use for charity or is it something that's earmarked for your family and then really doing that inventory and um, getting the best result for everyone. Um, Mark, before we got on, you were sharing um, maybe a not-so-great gift of real estate. I know that that happens, too. We've been talking about due diligence and other reasons um, to ask questions and communicate, but do you want to share what you learned? Yeah, it was a, a, a conversation with a, a colleague of mine, um, and this was a, you know, a, a, a gift that the organization she had been working at prior uh, or, you know, earlier in her career, so it was not at Augsburg, um, where the donor had bequeathed everything he owned uh, to the institution. And, you know, she came into the process, you know, this had already, you know, been the, uh, you know, the will uh, had, had happened, you know, a number of years earlier, um, but there really hadn't been, it sounded like, much in the way of due diligence, perhaps, or um, checking in on the status of the properties kind of over time. And so when the donor passed, um, the institution found itself, you know, owning, um, you know, not a, a number of different properties, one of which was a, um, a cabin up in northern Minnesota, uh, you know, on a, on a plot of land, presumably near a lake. Well, it turned out that the cabin was, um, was a mobile home. 
And that had not been inhabited for some time, except for when the gift officer went up to check it out, it was currently inhabited by about 150 feral cats. Um, so clearly a, um, you know, a, a pretty distressing situation that required, you know, uh, extra time and resources on the part of the institution, you know, in, in, in having to dispose of that property. Um, and, uh, and so I get, you know, it, it comes back and, and, uh, you know, probably at an earlier time, um, you know, hindsight being 2020, maybe saying no, uh, to such a gift probably could have avoided that. So it's not all it's not all roses and beautiful songbirds and trout streams. Sometimes it's something that you wish you hadn't said yes to. And that goes back to Sherry's point of um, it sounds like throughout your career, you, you've become more confident in advocating for your nonprofit organization's position and what you can and cannot do. And I think that's a great lesson for other fundraisers and gift planners um, to be able to learn from your experience of that it's it is okay to say no sometimes uh, because we're having these conversations we've had um, the opportunity to um, offer some suggestions on how things might be reframed um, you know we've had conversations with donors about uh, it's not ideal perhaps it's, it would be better in terms of our the use of our resources sometimes if a um, executor sold um, a certain asset had, you know or gave us something uh, without everything in the house um, there's a I think it's just having those those on, uh, honest conversations the one donor too that gave us her home um, we were able to have a conversation with her because her um, how she wanted it used or the proceeds was uh, pretty highly restrictive. We were able to, it would have been challenging to use it in that particular way. We were able to talk to her, uh, and actually it was for conservation, but we talked to conservation staff, came back with some some suggestions on how that could be modified so we could, we could, it would enhance our ability to use um, the gift. And she did that. She was happy to do that. Um, so it was, it was having an on, honest conversation about what we can and cannot do. Yeah, again, it comes down to that communication. Say, we were also kind of touching on before we connected up um, and started recording is, what are some other resources that maybe smaller organizations could draw upon with regard to getting the expertise and help to be able to accept gifts of real estate and manage those. I know you two had some ideas on that. Well, I know uh, in the case of with, with Augsburg, um, when we receive gifts of real estate, um, you know, many times, probably more often than not, those gifts are, it may be someone's home, it may be a cabin, um, it's, you know, it may be farmland. Um, and you know, we do not employ our own in-house, uh, you know, appraisers or real estate specialists. And so, you know, when those gifts are uh, are taken in, or even if we're in the process of considering working with the donor um, regarding a, a potential gift of, of, of property, we'll hire and work with uh, a local realtor 
who really knows the market conditions in that area, the value of the type of property, um, you know, any, you know, issues that may be, you know, that may accompany a disposal of that property. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that that's probably for many smaller organizations, really the first, you know, professional resource that they're going to want to seek out is, uh, you know, the, the help of a, you know, well-qualified or, you know, good reputation realtor uh, and or uh, appraiser. Yeah, I would add that we do actually the same thing. I mean, if we do um, have resources and uh, procedures in terms of gift acceptance practices um, that we refer to, uh, we, you know, we have a centralized gift planning department based in Arlington, Virginia, but we would work with a local, our colleagues in the local chapters to visit the property. And we're talking about a gift that we're going to accept today um, versus through um, a donor's estate. Um, and in that case, we're going to want to make sure that we've seen the property, that we've looked at some issues, and then we're, we're going to be reaching out to a local realtor. Um, there's going to have to be an independent appraisal. Um, so that's some of the things that we do. But when I'm working with a donor who's talking about give, giving us real estate through their estate, that's going to be a future gift. Many things could change in 20, 30 years. So we, and we have language that we provide donors, but we always encourage donors also to have a secondary beneficiary, which would give us an opportunity to walk away from that gift if it was not suitable for us to accept at that time. Or, um, you know, if it's for conservation, give us the flexibility if, if we can't conserve that property to look into other options in terms of its, its use. Um, I think that uh, smaller organizations can certainly partner with other organizations, including community foundations, in terms of helping them look at how they could accept a, accept a gift and, and encourage gifts of real estate. Sherry, early on uh, in one of your examples, I think you used the term uh, a bargain sale, that a property that uh, the Nature Conservancy had taken in was was through a bargain sale. Is that a is that a particular type of transaction? Uh, and if it is, is that something that you could um, that you could explain a little bit further for uh, for for our listeners? Sure, I think um, that's something that we would be very more more involved in because we conserve land resources. Um, so part of our mission is is protecting. Um, land and water resources. So there are places, we do have donors who approach us who have land resources where that property would fit into our conservation priority areas. And um, some of them can donate them all outright. Some of them, um, we also buy land. That's something that we also do. So in this case, um, this donor wanted the property protected knew that the price tag would be um, pretty extraordinary. Um, and he, you know, his number one priority was to see the properties protected. Um, he didn't have debt on the properties, but he wanted, he needed something. So the bargain sale was an opportunity for us to give him just, you know, in the simplest terms, give him something, um, but for him to also give something as well. So he, we worked out a, 
um, you know, here's here's how much uh, you're willing to sell the property for. We know it's going to be a, re a reduced amount, um, but in return, you're going to get a charitable deduction for that that part of it um, that you donated. So we don't see that that often, but it's certainly a um, a tool in the conservation world. Any uh, any additional you know stories or or examples uh, or thoughts here, Sherry, that uh, you know that you would want to leave us with? Well, I would say that I continue to be surprised at how many donors hold um, multiple pieces of real estate, um, and that might be a lot of things. It might be a second home. Um, it could be a rental property. When I was talking about exciting gifts, one other gift that occurred um, in the last few years was a donor in Montana who's, who owns significant uh, rental properties in Illinois. And she decided uh, she wanted to do something for the Nature Conservancy now. And she had um, a rental property uh, among her portfolio that she decided to donate to us. And that resulted in um, a gift now uh, to benefit our work in Montana. And uh, I think that we're also seeing as donors are aging, um, the, the kids might not be in the same state um, or they might own, the donor might own property in multiple estates, sorry, multiple states. And that becomes an issue sometimes that the ownership is just becoming challenging. Um, and uh, it's just time to, to reduce their portfolio. Um, I think that continuing to talk to donors ongoing about um, their plans is critical, staying in touch with them, letting them know that um, you can be of assistance and a resource to them is really important because one thing I've seen over the years is that donors make gifts on their timetable and not on yours. And just letting them know that you're in the business of accepting this type of these type of gifts is critical. Um, I had a donor just this this past few months who set up a donor advised fund, and he just remembered that at one time he and I had a conversation, and I told him that uh, we have a donor advised fund within the Nature Conservancy. So it's just as we've said time and time again today, the critical part of ongoing communication. Great advice, Sherry. I've also been seeing, and maybe it's just the space that I occupy right now, working with donors, but utilizing charitable trusts, both charitable remainder trusts and charitable lead trusts for gifts of real estate. Um, I'm working with one right now, um, gift of farmland, and then last year had a, a client gift commercial real estate into a charitable lead trust. So while we're focusing on real estate, and we thought this was very fitting, being that Earth Day is coming up in just a few days, and so this is Earth Month, um, that we would talk to you at the Nature Conservancy and Gifts of Real Estate. It's really an, an all-the-time conversation that gift planners should be having. Because of Earth Day, um... I think I also wanted to share that um, one of, we have a legacy club um, donors who, you know, revealed to us that they've included the Nature Conservancy are a par are part of that uh, legacy club and, and continue to hear from us. And 
one of my all-time favorite stories is that Rachel Carson, um, who published Silent Spring in 1962, was really credited to, um, you know, shouting out to the world um, the damage uh, to wildlife caused by widespread pesticide use. She's really credited for launching the America's Modern Environmental Movement. She was also on the board of um, trustees of the Nature Conservancy and left the Nature Conservancy. Her estate um, helped launch our uh, chapter in Maine. And to this day, we can continue to get support uh, from the publishing of the royalties from Silent Spring. So I'm always struck by how important these gifts are ongoing um, to our work. So um, in honor of uh, Rachel Carson, um, happy Earth Day. Well, folks, uh, that is it for our show today. Thank you so much to uh, to our guest Sherry Beal for all of her uh, her insights, her uh, her experiences here, and and sharing with us uh, the benefits of uh, being able to accept real estate gifts and and uh, some of the uh, the best practice and best practices in doing so. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or follow Leave a Legacy Minnesota on LinkedIn. Uh, in order to be notified of our future episodes and our upcoming Legacy at Lunch webinar series. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you join us next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Legacy of Generosity podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. For show notes and access to other free educational content, visit leavealegacymn.org and click Resource Library. Consider joining us as a member of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association for networking and comprehensive education. And connect with us on LinkedIn to share your feedback. Make it a great day.